We've been going through this series to begin this year. Because realistically, there's many of us, when we start any new year, we look at things in our lives that we can improve on, things that we can change, things that we can strengthen, maybe even things that we might need to remove from our lives. And we've been going through this journey looking at the power to change. There, there is this power that's available to us who are followers of Jesus Christ that will create a path to change. Now, change is not, real lasting change is not something that you can do on your own. Not by willpower, not by strength, not by intellect, nothing like that. But we're finding out that in God's Word, God's Word actually teaches us how we can change. So I want to ask this question and just allow this to sink in as we continue on this journey. How many of you have something very specific in your life that you're hoping to change this year? How many of you have something specific in your life that you are hoping to change? Here's the good news in all this. As we're on this journey talking about this power to change, if there's something that you're hoping to change, I want you to think about what that specific thing is right now. What is that? What are you hoping to change? What are you hoping to overcome? What are you hoping to do this year? Because I'm guessing that some of you may be hoping maybe to get out of debt, or you're hoping to be better with your money, or maybe you're hoping to improve your marriage this year, or relationships, or whether that's in the family, or friendships. You're hoping maybe to get in better physical shape in this year. Or maybe you're hoping to get more organized with your life. But you're probably hoping for something to change in your life this year. I do want to tell you this, though. First of all, that hope is good. (laughs) Hear me on this at the very beginning. Hope is good. And I never want you to go through life without hope. But, you probably thought there was a but coming there, but hope alone won't change your life. Hope alone won't bring in the change that you are hoping to to experience this year. Hope alone won't change your life. Habits will. Do you get that? Hope alone is not going to change your life, but the habits that we create, the habits we have in our life, will allow us to change. I hope you have hope. But even more than just hope, I hope you also have the right habits so that change can follow. Because hope alone won't change your life, but your habits, they will. The reality is this, that most of what you normally do isn't the result of hope in your life. Instead, it's the result of habits. 
In fact, there's this fascinating study that shows that over 40% of your actions that you do daily in your life are not the result of decisions, but they're the result of habits. So much of what we do every day isn't the result of us making maybe a conscious decision. It's the result of our daily habits. So, if you want to change your life, you want to change your habits. And today, let me try to show you the power of one habit. The power of one habit and what it can do in your life. What can one holy habit do to change your life? And we're going to look at Daniel 6. And first, as you get there, I just wanted to give you the context behind this story. Because as you hear me say often, context is key. Sometimes I would even say context is king. You need to understand the context. So you can fully grasp and understand what the scripture is saying to you. So here's the story. Here's the context behind Daniel 6. In 587 BC, there was this king named King Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylonians, at this time, what they did, they attacked the people of Jerusalem. They burned their temple. They completely destroyed everything that they could. Why? Just so they can humiliate the people of God. What the Babylonians also did, mostly, anytime they attacked and conquered someone, and they did this with, with the Israelites, they would take many captive, and the people that they would take captive, they took prisoners into Babylon. They would bring them back to Babylon. And what they actually were made to do as they were coming into Babylon is they were made to strip down naked just to humiliate them even more. And what King Nebuchadnezzar tended to do is he would take the best of the best of these cities, of these nations, and he would bring them back um, to Babylon to basically indoctrinate them with the Babylonian ways with the intent on making them leaders of Babylon in the future. So much so, so much indoctrination that they actually, the goal was to have them erase and forget where they came from. That they get to a point where all they know is Babylonian, the Babylonian way, the Babylonian ideologies, the Babylonian culture, so that these best of the best would become future leaders. There was one young kid amongst these captives named Daniel who actually stood out. And you would think, knowing all this, that Daniel really had no chance at all. At all. Then one day, the king had some really weird dreams. Probably because he ate something spicy or something before bed. I don't know. But he had a lot of weird dreams. And all of his spiritual interpreters that he had on staff, everyone couldn't figure out what these dreams were were about and couldn't find the meaning behind them. Daniel heard about all this, and God actually gave Daniel wisdom with the ability to interpret these dreams. The king was so blown away by the power of God 
and, and allow, seeing this, this one person with no experience of all this, giving this interpretation. Um, he was so blown by the power of God through Daniel that the king actually bowed down and presented an offering. And he said this, as he did this, he said, Daniel, surely your God is the one true God. And now that raises a question. How did God do something so big through Daniel? A young kid, a young person, no chance at all. How did God do something so big through this young kid, Daniel? And the answer is this. God often does big things through small habits. God often does big things through our small habits. So let me give you the backstory in case you didn't know. Daniel, because of all this, now had favor with the king. And the king wanted to promote Daniel higher up in the ranks. And the king's key leaders didn't like this, this quick rising of this young kid. They probably got jealous, insecure, wondering if their jobs were now on the line. And so what they, so these key leaders gathered together and they said, we need a plan to stop this, the king um, continuing to promote Daniel. We need to find something on him that we can use against him, show to the king so the king doesn't, you know, like him anymore. Um, so that's what they did. They tried to find something in Daniel's life so they could point out to the to the game. But here's the problem in all this, though, is as they looked into Daniel's life, they actually couldn't find any flaws in his character whatsoever. So much they said this in verse 5 of Daniel 6. It said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel, unless, they said, it has something to do with the law of his God. So these leaders, they told the king, they came up with that idea, said, listen, we're not going to find anything. But the one thing he is super um, loyal to is anything regarding his God. So, so these key leaders, again, they came, they came up with this idea and they came to the king and the leaders told the king that what he needed to do. And, and this is what they suggested. They said, you need to make a law for the next 30 days, if any person prays to anyone except to you, that you need to throw them into the lion's den. And the king thought, I like that. Because again, they're, they're playing on his eagle. He had a big eagle. Most of these kings did. And, you know, to present this idea of you being everyone's God, right? And that they pray to him um, and, and things like that. Of course, it stroked his ego. And they played towards that, knowing that he would agree. So he agreed to that, and he made it law. And we're about to see one habit that made Daniel the man of God that he was. So this is what we read in verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. 
giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day, three times a day, he knelt and he gave thanks to God just as he had done before. If you don't know the next part of the story, it's pretty powerful. These leaders knew this and they were waiting because they knew that the windows were open and they could catch him in the act. And they did. They went to the king and they informed the king, Daniel broke the law. Daniel has been praying to God. He's been praying to his God and not to you. And the king was really upset because he really liked Daniel. You could even go as far as he loved Daniel. He trusted Daniel. And he was upset that he he had to throw one of his closest friends into the lion's den. But he knew he had to. He couldn't make an exception because it was Daniel. He had to follow through so that everyone would understand his power and know that there's consequences for not following his laws. So he threw Daniel in the lion's den. And you can believe this, that the king was up all night and he was worrying. He did not get a good night's sleep that night. And he was worrying about Daniel and how he was making out with those lions The next morning, as the story says, the king rushes down to the lion's den and he he cries out and he yells out. He says, Daniel, has the God that you serve been able to rescue you? And Daniel, after spending the night in the lion's den, answers back and says, yes, my God has rescued me. And it raises the question, how did Daniel set himself apart in all of this? How did he have the faith to stare down lions? And the answer is this, Daniel prayed just as he'd done before. One small holy habit. What did this one habit of seeking God do for Daniel? I can't necessarily answer that specifically, but I can assume assume it built his faith up. It strengthened his spiritual intimacy with God. That because of this habit, he learned to hear the voice of God and be prompted by God's direction. I believe that three times a day gave him the confidence to say no to spiritual temptation. It gave him the spiritual strength to stand firm when others would fall. One powerful, holy habit changed the spiritual trajectory of Daniel's life. And that's what I would say to you here today is this, never underestimate how God can start something big through one small habit. Never underestimate that. Never underestimate what God can do in your marriage. Never underestimate what God can do in your faith, what he can do in your health, what he can do in your friendships, what he can do in your ministry impact through one small 
specific God-honoring, holy habit. So let's review where we've been these past few weeks so far on this journey. Because remember what I said at the very beginning. We're going to build a foundation, and then we're going to be building principle upon principle upon principle. In that very first week, we learned this. We learned an important principle. is this, that real and lasting change isn't behavior modification. It, instead, what is it? It's spiritual transformation. Real and, and long-lasting change is not behavior modification. It's not changing your behavior. It's not changing what's on the outside. If you want to experience real and lasting change, it's, you need to focus on spiritual transformation. And for spiritual change to take place, remember the secret sauce that I gave a few weeks ago? For, it to be, for spiritual change to take place, it has to be spiritual, right? So our first week, we started with this idea of what is our spiritual why. Have, we have reasons with the, the things that we want to change in life. And to be honest, they're all good reasons, logical reasons, probably healthy reasons, but I encouraged you, encouraged us to add on a spiritual why of why you want it to change. Because it needs to, it needs to involve spiritual transformation. And that could maybe be a verse that you can re- relate back to what this you want to change and, and why that's happening. Um, it could be something like, remember, I shared, I saw a difference in, in, in the way that I, I, I ate and, and how often I went to the gym. When I finally added a spiritual why, and, I, and it was the spiritual why is, uh, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's up to me, it's my responsibility to maintain that. And when I start thinking that, that's when I notice a significant shift so what is your spiritual why? This, it's this idea, this is why we want to make the changes so we can honor God. Last week, we talked about identity, right? Why, we asked the question, why do we do what we do in our lives, right? And the reason that we talked about last week of, of why we do what we do, it's this, you do what you do because of what you think of you. Usually how we think of ourselves is really what's going to determine what we do in any given situation. So if you want to change what you do, I challenged us last week that you need to change what you think of you. You aren't what you think you are. You aren't what others think you are. You aren't what the enemy says you are. Remember, you are who God says you are. So you have not just this spiritual why that we looked at in the first week. Now, last week, we added a spiritual who to all that. Our identity is a big part in us changing. And this you know, this is why I want to change. It's, it's spiritual and God-honoring, but I'm not just changing on my own. I have the identity of God transforming me to be like Christ. That's empowering me to do the will of God in my life. It's not just my spiritual why, but I also have a spiritual 
who that needs to be part of this process. Today, what we're going to be talking about and what we are talking about is your spiritual what. It's your what. These would be the habits that lead us to the outcome that's most pleasing to God. And the question we're going to raise today is, it's again, it's based on identity, based on who you want to become. What's one habit that you need to start? You see how these principles are building upon each other? Based on who you want to be, what we talked about last week, your identity, based on who you want to be, to become, what is one habit that you need to start to see that happen in your life? It's not bad if it's small. Sometimes we think it has to be this big, grandiose habit, right? But it doesn't. It could just be one small little habit. You might be actually better off, to be honest, of making it small at the very beginning. It might be, it might be that you want to be more disciplined, so what one habit do you need to start to see that happen? So let me show you how this can play out based on who you want to become. So what's one habit that you need to start? How do we create a new habit in our life? The first thing I want to encourage you to do is this. Make it obvious. I want you to make this habit obvious. Anyone and everyone that teaches on habits will talk about their own version of what's called the habit cycle. And it always starts with a cue, like something that you see. What's the cue that gets your attention? You know, and once you see that cue, what it does is it, it creates a desire or it creates a craving in your life. And from that craving... Once you have experienced that craving, after that craving, it's followed by a response or an action. And then after that, you get the reward. And you see this cycle starts with cue. It goes to craving. It goes to response. It goes to reward. And then it starts over again. The, the cue is the key here to the habit cycle. This is what starts everything off. I don't know how it would hit you. For me, at times in the past, there seemed to be a cue every time I drove by, drove by a Tim Hortons. I don't know what that cue was, but all of a sudden, I found myself in the parking lot of Tim Hortons. Our dog, Coda, he has cues that we've had to pick up on and, and learn from him. Um, like needing to pee, wanting to play. Um, you know, there's certain cues that we see when he's in the car where he knows, oh, I've just crossed this bridge. I know the area we're going. And we see these cues. Our cat, <laughs> I think cats train us more than we train them. Our cat's cue of saying, you need to get out of bed now to feed me. It's at one point, she found out if she gently rubs up against our bedroom door, and our bedroom door is a barn door, um, so it slides 
open and closed, she found out at some point, if I slightly rub against it, this door swings and it bangs against the wall or the door frame. And she knows if she does that enough times, I get frustrated enough, I get out of bed, and then she's at her dish saying, okay, since you're up, you can feed me. There's these cues, right? Because when it comes to your habits, your cues determine what you do. If you want to change what you do, what do you do? How do you do that? You change your cues. If you want to change what you do, change those cues in your life. Make it obvious, for example, how this could play out. If you want to read your Bible every day to start your day off, let me encourage you how you can change some of those cues to allow that to happen. First one is don't leave your Bible in a drawer somewhere that you can't see it. Out of sight, out of mind, usually, right? So if you want to start reading the Bible every day to start off your day in the morning, don't leave it in a drawer. But instead, maybe what you need to do the, to create a new habit, you need to place that Bible maybe beside the coffee pot or maybe your toothbrush or maybe by the cereal, something that is a habit of yours that you do every single morning, depending on how you do it. You wake up, you might go to the bathroom first, then you might go and make coffee, and then have something to eat, and then go and shower, whatever it is, right? There's those habits that you do every single morning. Create a new habit, a cue that you need to read your Bible, and place your Bible somewhere where you will see it, make it obvious, or may, you know, and even go even further maybe. If you have a phone, put a reminder on your phone. You wake up usually around the same day, every morning set a reminder that your phone will go off about 15 or so minutes after you wake up, to read your Bible. Just make it obvious. Start there. The second thing I would encourage you to do is make it easy as well. So make it obvious, but also make it easy. Two different authors speak on this. David Allen created what he called the two-minute rule, and he, he teaches essentially this regarding that rule. If you can do something in two, two minutes, do it now. Do it now. And the reason, he says, if, if there's something that you want to do and it only takes two minutes, do it now. It's this idea that cleared off your plate. And as you do that, it will create a habit of that. James Clear took that principle, that two-minute rule principle, and he took it a step further. And he said that the key to starting any habit is to actually make it a habit that takes you two minutes or less. So make it obvious. Make it easy. For example, how that could play out. It could look like this. Maybe for you, maybe you want to, maybe you want to create the habit of journaling every single day. It's a wonderful discipline to, to get into. Maybe that's what you want to do. You want to try to create that habit. You're probably thinking, how do I do that? I just seem so overwhelmed by it. Make it easy if you want to create this habit. Instead of writing four pages, because a lot of times when we start a habit like that, we think we got we to gotta, like, create all of this stuff. It's got to be four, five, six pages worth of journaling. Um, how about instead, your goal is just to write one sentence? One sentence. See, you're lowering the fresh threshold. You're making these smart goals, you know, these attainable 
tangible uh, goals instead of shooting for the sky right off the bat. Lower your threshold. If you just write one sentence a day, you'll get in the habit. And if you write one, there's a good chance you might be able to write two. Then if you are able to write two, you might be able to write three sentences. But here's the catch. If you don't write one sentence, you won't write two. Make it obvious. Make it easy. And then James Clear expands on this idea in a principle he calls habit stacking, which we might actually see in Daniel's habits that we can learn from Daniel, that Daniel by just looking at it, was probably doing this principle of habit stacking in his life. Basically, what James Clear says is just you stack your habits on one another, just like this. What you do is you say something like this, I will do blank after I blank. It's really what it's about. I will do this thing after I do this thing. And you start stacking your holy habits, which are actually a reflection of why you want to do something. And becoming who you're supposed to be and creating the habits and taking into the direction to please God with your life. For example, I can't prove this with Daniel, but I'm guessing. If he prayed three times a day, when do you think he might have prayed? Just by reading about that, you probably would assume it probably would have been at mealtime, right? After I eat my Fruit Loops, I go into my prayer closet and I pray. After I eat my grilled cheese sandwich, I go into my prayer closet and I pray. After I eat my Chef Boyardee beef ravioli, I go to my prayer closet and I pray. Those meals sounds like... um, a husband, and what he would do when his wife is out of town. That seems like doubt. Those types of meals is what it seems like, right? If he prayed three times a day, there is a really decent chance that after every meal he had, he would go and pray. So he's like, I will pray, you know, as he was habit stacking, and the habit of eating Three meals a day is a habit. You stack on another habit. I will, I, will, I will pray after I eat my meals. So we have our spiritual who. We have our spiritual why. We have our spiritual what. And Paul says this in 1 Timothy. I love what he says here in 1 Timothy. Um. Chapter 4, verse 8, he says this, physical training is good, or, you know, like habits, you know, just getting into creating habits. Physical training is good, he says, but training for godliness is so much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. One small habit at a time, and we can become more and more like Jesus If you're hoping to change something here, hope is good. But hope alone won't change your life. Habits 
will. Hope will get you started, but the habit is what will keep you going down this path of change. Based on who you want to become, what is one small habit do you need to start doing in your life? You may say, well, it's not that really big of a deal, like one small habit. Is that really going to make a big deal? Like, it's just one habit, not a big deal. Well, listen to what Zechariah says. Chapter 4, verse 10. This is, what he, this is what is said. Do not despise these small beginnings, these small habits. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, you have no idea how God might do something big through one small habit. So, based on who you want to become, what one habit do you need to start? Because physical training is good, but training godliness is better. And you won't change because you hope to change. You're changed by creating these holy, God-honoring habits in your life. And when you do, and when you start, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Why? Because God rejoices to see the work begin. And never underestimate how God can start something big through one small habit. Father, I pray that you just do a work in us here today as you remind us of creating these holy, God-honoring habits in our life. I pray we don't get stuck in the mentality of, well, it's not really going to do much. It's just one habit. It's just one small thing. Allows to never underestimate how you can use that one small habit to do something big, to do something powerful. So we ask that your spirit will continue to do the work necessary in our lives to create these habits so we can, so we can have a life that is pleasing to you. Help us with this process of change, Lord. Continue to remind us it is not up to us. Like, we can't do this on our own. You need to be involved and fully involved in this process. Help us with that going forward. We pray this in your name.